0: Hello from Midori House in London, it's Emma Nelson here and you're with Monocle Weekend. If you've just switched on your radio, welcome. In a moment we cross live to Zurich to do and 90 to join our editorial director Tyler Brillet for another hour of lively radio in this week's Monocle on Sunday. And then at 11am Monocle on Culture asks if the art world is changing. So lots to look forward to. First though, a quick look at today's headlines. A plane has crashed in central Nepal, killing at least 40 people. 72 people were on board the Yeti Airlines flight from Kathmandu. Videos show the aircraft flying low over a populated area before it spun sharply. 200 Nepalese soldiers are involved in the rescue mission. A major disaster has been declared in California, which has been hit by a succession of winter storms. The US President Joe Biden has said federal money will be made available to help. California's state governor has said 24 trillion gallons of water have fallen since the storms began three weeks ago. An additional five pages of classified material has been found in U.S. President Joe Biden's family home in Delaware. The White House says the documents were discovered on Thursday and were immediately handed to the Justice Department. A special counsel is investigating Mr. Biden's handling of the files, which date back to his time as vice president. A retired general has narrowly beaten the billionaire ex-premier Andrei Babiš in the first round of the Czech presidential election. It means a Petr Pavel will face Mr. Babiš in a runoff in two weeks. In Czechia, the position of president doesn't carry executive authority, but has significant powers in appointing prime ministers. And Parisians will be able to vote on whether electric scooters should be banned from the streets. There have been complaints that the city's fleet of 15,000 for hire scooters aren't safe, they cause stress and they clog up the pavements. The city's mayor, Anne Hidalgo, has already come out against the scooters but the French capital's three operators, Lime, Dot and Tier had been hoping to renew their licences. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. (laughs) So let's cross live to Dufourstrasse 90 in Zurich to join a busy table, Mr Brulé, but we're still sitting down. Is that correct? Good morning,
1: Tyler.
2: Good morning, Emma. Indeed, it is a very busy table. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven people uh, around the table this morning. All sat, all ready for a very, very busy uh, radio day, radio hour uh, ahead. But what great news. Uh, I mean... (laughs) If we go back to Paris for a moment, I think maybe we should spend some time talking about hopefully this, this referendum vote, whatever we want to call it in Paris, uh, will lead to, to great news and we will see uh, poppy coloured and, uh, and and lime green and, and other coloured scooters disappear from the streets of Paris. And hopefully that leads, of course, to the disappearance of scooters from other cities as well. Yes, Just dare, a bit of wishful
0: thinking. I, I was about to say, dare I say that this is a, a tub that you quite like to thump?
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but listen, you've, you've been to Paris, uh, of course, many times mm. uh, since uh, scooters have arrived. Not great. I mean, yes, maybe if, if you have to sort of make a dash to, to Yadonard potentially, but uh, I think a bit of an eyesore. And,
0: a, and an ankle breaker in the meantime. Apparently, Tokyo going bananas for them now, for them. But I wonder whether it's simply because... When you wander around Paris, the trottoir, the, the, the pavements are quite narrow and they're quite hard and if you put one of those things across your across your um, your pavement, the likelihood is it suddenly turns into a, a bit a bit like, like like a horse of the day dressage thing as you have to leap over these abandoned scooters as you try and make your way from A to B.
2: Yeah, I don't see it happening uh, in in, in (laughs) Tokyo, or at least maybe the Japanese can deliver some sense of order uh, to, of course, these uh, little rolling devices. Uh, Emma Nelson, it's also, I was going to say, it's one of your favourite shows because Chandra Kurt is here as well. So uh, you have to uh, prep with your, uh, certainly your wine request for the day. Is that a problem for you? I'm
0: I'm sure I'll struggle through. Thank you, Tyler.
2: (laughs) Emma Nelson, more from you in about uh, 25 minutes time. Monocle on Sunday starts now. morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Burley. coming up on today's program from Dufourstraße here in Zurich. Fabian Kinselman is here, also Chandra Kurt. She's going to have a few views on wines. But first, Fabian, what have you seen in the papers this morning or some, any news outlet?
3: <laughs> Good morning, Tyler. Good morning. Um, for sure, Davos is a big topic. It's coming up again, again in January, the first time since the pandemic. China, lots of people are writing about like the U-turn in China's policy and also the um, Switzerland's neutrality debate is heating up again.
2: Very good we'll be discussing all of those topics our editor-in-chief Andrew Tuck is going to be with us in London and also I have some other guests from London today, Marcus Hippie is here Uh, also uh, Tom Webb, they're on their way to Davos as well, good morning gentlemen Good morning,
4: good morning, it's a a busy busy period ahead where we are about to head to the mountains and see what the biggest discussion topics are at this year's World Economic Forum. Indeed Tom what are you looking
2: forward to Uh, perhaps uh, discussing, seeing uh, maybe even interviewees? Today
5: I'm most looking forward to watching arrivals from zurich airport we'll have a plane spotted there and i'm looking forward to the house of ukraine which returns for the fourth year in a row
2: very good also we'll be getting the latest developments from the ukraine as well it's the 15th of january 2023 live from zurich this is monocle on sunday
6: live from zurich this is monocle on sunday with tyler Brunei.
2: And good morning from Zurich. A very cloudy, uh, certainly a bit of a foreshadowing of the weather to come. Of course, we were talking in the intro just now about Davos. I think in terms of a backdrop, it is going to hopefully look white, but I guess on the way into uh, the studio just now, I thought that the storm lights uh, are on, on the lake. Uh, so I think it's about to get a little bit uh, exciting uh, out there, but not as exciting uh, as what's going to happen around uh, the table uh, this morning. We should, of course, uh, go to... A premiere for 2023, Chandra Kurt is here this morning. Very, very nice to see you. Good morning, Chandra. Good
1: morning, Tyler.
2: All well, your way?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was traveling. I came back from a little bit better weather from Greece, but then uh, you know January is always dry January, so it's not really my favorite month.
2: No, exactly. Well, what I want maybe we can spend a little bit of time uh, on the concept of a dry January mm-hmm. uh, a bit uh, later a, as well. Uh, Fabian Kinselman, <laughs> of course, we heard uh, from you uh, first uh, first thing, uh, of course, in the intro as well. Uh, and you have your newish gig still. Uh, you're of course the uh, the chief international correspondent at the Handelszeitung, of course, which is one of the financial financial newspapers of record, uh, German-speaking uh, Switzerland as well. How's the new year going for us? It only feels like we're moving into week three, but it um, somehow feels it like we month three already. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's just what I wanted to say. It, like so many things that happening in the past weeks, China is opening up or already opened up. Like Chinese tourists are even back to Switzerland.
2: Yeah, and that's an interesting topic as well because there's. I was uh, I was at a birthday party yesterday evening. There was uh, some discussion amongst some guests as well that. It, Switzerland is also sort of the odd man out. Uh, of course, we have test requirements in many parts of Europe, but Switzerland's like, "Come on in." W- watches need to be sold.
3: Exactly, they are just like welcoming all the tourists without additional measures. And the, I think the dangerous thing here is that um, that China is just not sharing data on the COVID situation.
2: Yes, I mean we've seen some, at least the first release of, of numbers, but uh, there was again there was a lot of prompting, as you said at the top, a lot of a lot of U-turns uh, as well. Marcus Hippie, good morning. Nice to see you. Good Good morning. Very nice to be here. Now you're going to be spending time with, there's much news of course that your Prime Minister meaning your Prime Minister, uh, we're talking about Finland's pro, uh, Prime Minister uh, is going to be in attendance uh, in, in Davos. Uh, any, any special audience with you? Are you going to be doorstepping her?
4: Well I've been definitely I've already been sending a number of emails trying to organise something with her but as I learned I had a discussion about this with Fabian already earlier and you've been sending interview requests to Finland as well and there seems to be seems to be a massive demand for Marin obviously still for interviews so, so we, we are trying our best and hopefully I managed to get, get some kind of an audience with her. Or the Foreign Minister, Becca Harvester, who is going to be in Davos, by the way, as well. Very good. Also, Tom Webb, our Deputy
2: Head of Radio, uh, is here. You, you mentioned, uh, again, in the intro, uh, plane spotting, uh, that, that there's going to... Uh, uh, we've got someone out there. We're going to be talking to one of the plane spotters. And that is one of the fascinating things uh, about what happens out at Clotin Airport here uh, in Zurich, because you this is the, the closest airport. Well, you could maybe say there's the airport in St. Gallen is geographically closer uh, to Davos, But this has the longer runways, the handling capabilities for aircraft, uh, large and small. And that's one of the amazing things is people love to see uh, what various heads of state uh, are flying in on.
5: Yeah, there are three airports that we'll be watching very closely, Uh, Zurich being the biggest, as you say, to to host the big jets. Um, Organisers have been a little bit concerned this year because it's not very snowy in Davos at the moment, and there's this eye on all this travel. So at the moment, the, the focus on Davos is ukraine and also the sort of cost of living crisis rather than climate but we will be watching these planes throughout the day
2: absolutely uh also i'm very happy to say that andrew tuck is with
7: us uh, in london uh as well andrew why aren't you around the big table here this morning i know i feel totally left out it's very mean but anyway i'm very glad to hear some very familiar voices from london uh, with you there today tyler uh, and tell us so uh, not that we want the weather
2: forecast, uh, but uh, mood in London on uh, on a well, is it a sunny Sunday or is it uh, is it a rather overcast Sunday?
7: Well, it's actually a sunny Sunday at the moment. So how about that? I think things are okay. It was interesting you talking about the, the, the and Maybe we'll come back to the, the world of scooters and bicycles and shared mobility in a moment. But uh, out in London yesterday, I went to see the Lucian Freud exhibition at the National Gallery in the morning. And I was struck by actually, London seemed for a January day pretty vibrant and lots of people around. So apart from the fact that we, we're, eh, we're encircled by endless strikes and we have a, a prime minister wearied by trying to find his way through them and we had too much harry on our plates as well actually pretty sunny sunday
2: Carry on your plates. That sounds, um, I'm not so appetizing <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, on a Sunday morning. Uh, Andrew, you know how uh, the, this uh, this part of the program works. Uh, it's great having Chandra, of course, uh, back uh, around the table uh, as well. I'm not sure what's going to be happening with your Sunday uh, afternoon, but Chandra has her notepad uh, ready. I can see that uh, pen uh, top is, uh, is certainly poised uh, as well. To take your brief, Andrew, in terms of, what you might want to have um, on the side table, on the coffee table, on the dining table, maybe at some point this afternoon in the form of a glass of wine.
7: Chandra, how, how great to be getting this service back. I've been missing it the last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> well, let's let's start with January is a time of renewal and, and new promises and, and new horizons, hopefully. So suggest something that I might be able to drink at the end of the day that's going to come up with all of those things in a bottle, something that's that's new, something that's a little bit challenging, that something's going to redirect my year.
1: You knew I love your, your requests. They are dif- totally different than Emma's, but they are going in a wonderful direction. I will find something.
7: Wait, hold on a second. It sounds
2: like Emma's already made her request in in, in advance. Emma, is this true?
1: <laughs> no, it's absolutely no. not. I'm
0: still trying to work out what I want to ask Chandra. No, I'd never, ever do that, would I, Chandra?
2: No, 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 no. No. Okay, I, I'm coming back to you in a moment, though. I'm gonna we're gonna go to uh, to Marcus. Uh, Marcus, you are. I'm not sure what your sort your living situation is going to be up in Davos, but does this require you to go to a, a train station? Uh, grocery store to get your wine? What what are you looking for today?
4: Well, well, we need to go to a grocery store. So we're living in a lovely lovely chalet about half an hour's drive away from from Davos. So I don't really know exactly what kind of a building it's going to be. But I can imagine us me, Carlotta, and Tom Webb after busy days in Davos, getting together, I, I wonder, is there a fireplace? Does anyone know? But anyway, I'd like the idea of sitting in front of a fireplace, you know, relaxing in the evening after a very successful day, a very successful broadcast, something nice. And hopefully, the price coming from Monocle expenses.
2: Yeah, of course. Absolutely.
4: And I just, I just
2: uh, heard in my ear as well. I got the nod. There is a fireplace uh, a, as well. So make sure that uh, you have uh, logs also on the on the expenses. Emma, over to you in London.
0: Chandra, um, I've had a bit of a week. Um, I'm just going to ask you, Just can I just bypass the wine? And I just need a bit of a stiffener. Can you help me?
1: What is a stiffener? Uh,
0: possibly something a little bit more lively than wine.
2: So oh. she's thinking in the world of, would a whiskey do or?
0: Not, um, do you know, that's the one thing that I really wish I enjoyed. I don't like whiskey, so we have to avoid whiskey. But anything that I can just, just get something that takes me straight to the point,
1: if that's all right with you. So I, I assume that alcohol has to
0: be tripled If at least, at least.
2: Very good. Okay, Fabian, uh, you're also Davos bound as well. You said you're staying with friends yeah. uh, up up there. But uh, what, what type of wine would you? Uh, are are you in the market for potentially? Oh,
3: the, I mean, the, I don't think you're going to have um, free evenings, Marcus. Um, and about wine, there's this one wine party in Davos everybody's talking about, and everybody wants to go. It's like the one by Demouché. Anthony Scaramucci is hosting uh, his annual wine party again in the Piano Bar and uh, yeah
2: <laughs> okay so anyway um, you might want to bring a bottle but maybe afterwards what mm-hmm. would uh, what, what would you like chandra to maybe suggest for you what, what, what might you be in the mood for because as you said marcus may not you know uh, he might be sort of and with all of our other colleagues very busy out of course covering the world of davos but uh, but when there's that sort of putting your feet up moment are you in the mood for a red white
6: red, definitely red.
2: okay hard working journalist yeah. from a a swiss newspaper you got that chandra yep yeah, i got that okay tom
5: Can I test you on dessert wines? Because I want something sweet after a very, very long day. I'm by the fire. I'm very cold. I've been standing in the snow. Good. Yeah,
1: We have some solutions.
7: Perfect.
2: God, Andrew, it sounds like a tough gig, doesn't it? Poor Tom Webb standing in the snow.
7: I know they're all cozying around this fire. I hope the heating bill is going to be low. But anyway, Chandra needs needs a whole kind of truck to get all the all the requests up to Davos this year. Indeed, uh, maybe uh,
2: Andrew, should should we start? Of course, uh, we heard in the news headlines a little bit uh, earlier, and uh, you set us up for it a little bit as well. Uh, Paris Mayor Anne Hidalgo, uh, we're looking at a, a vote probably sometime in in April, I believe, to address this issue of of scooters, uh, and of course, we're talking about uh, scooters for higher. I'm not sure what it means if you've got uh, your own uh, stable of scooters uh, in in your garage. But this is territory we've covered many many times uh, and we certainly have uh, some some pointed views about it on one side we're all for mobility around the cities but this is aside from these uh, being an eyesore we've talked about the myriad problems uh, that that go with them Um, what do you think has been the tipping point um, in all of this Andrew because on one side the mayor she said that she's of course you know she's been against it but of course it was under her watch that these uh, scooters also hit the streets as well.
7: Well, the shame for Paris is obviously that Paris is one of the the initiators in the very, very early days of a bike share scheme with Valib. And it kind of set the benchmark for much of the world to copy it. Here was a, a city that had embraced the idea that not everybody could afford a bicycle, but that bicycles were a simple way of getting around. And when it began, it was all, all a simple journey. You know, people understood that there was a a way of behaving on the road and and to be honest back then they had to muddle in with all the rest of the traffic so you know they were they were pretty cautious now in cities all around the world we've moved to a system where you know it's bike and pedestrian first which has many many advantages but in a city like london for example we we emphasize speed we emphasize the the rights of the the cyclist over the, the rights of the the car user, even of the pedestrian in many situations. So even the language of it, we talk about cycle superhighways, the idea that you can bomb along really fast. And I think this has happened in many cities where the the quantity of these bikes arriving in, in cities has been it's seen a pitched battle between all of these different suppliers and then you have this emphasis on speed many roads going over just to being for bicycles and so people maneuvering around the city in in dangerous ways the speeds of these things have gone up the first bikes were pedaled now now they're electric so there's all of these elements of danger have been added in and no checks and balances along the way in essence there's nothing wrong with somebody going along on one of these these scooters if they behave and if they follow the rules of the world and my last thing on that and we see it a lot in our neighborhood in london is is that there's a tendency for you very young kids who have learned how to often steal these bikes to use them in almost like a, a free ride for the day and then dump them at the end of the day and it's and it's it's this 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 sense of bad behavior that's attached to them that has become the real problem Maybe we should do a should we do a little poll, Andrew? Because we
2: we have so many people around around the mic uh, or mics today this morning, uh, and, and maybe get everyone's view. Maybe, maybe we should start with Marcus, Andrew? I don't know if you've ever have you seen Marcus ever on uh, on, on, on such a scooter.
7: I don't think I have even seen him on a bicycle, but maybe he's going to reveal a secret life to us. <laughs> okay, so tell us, Mark, are you, are you, are you, pro, are you pro scooters
4: or, or not? I'm not pro scooters. I'm pro, I'm pro cycling, but I'm not pro scooters. Okay, there you have it, Henry. He does know how to ride a bicycle. Tom Webb. Uh, I zipped around Rome on
5: a scooter and actually picked up some very bad behaviors, going through red lights, going the wrong way. Um, so because of my own behavior on a scooter i am against them but also i found that paris was riddled with uncharged scooters and i think that is a huge problem and it sort of does
2: beg the question what else did tom pick up as well though but anyway um <laughs> chandra uh, Ch- chandra uh, could we see you on a scooter, maybe with a little well, little box of wine in the back?
1: Actually, I'm more the taxi
3: person, but if I will go on a bicycle, not the scooter.
2: Okay, Fabienne, we're around Zurich.
3: I'm into cycling, and uh, I, I love I love to have my own bike.
2: But also, yeah. your view on this is another mm-hmm. city as well, where of mm-hmm. course uh, traffic, you know, traffic is. I mean, traffic in all its forms, whether you're going to be driving 30 kilometers an hour, uh, parking in blue boxes, all of these things. It is is such a defining topic in Zurich as well. And yet we also have this scooter plague in this city too.
3: You're right. And I think like the scooters, they just um, replaced um, paths people would normally walk. Like people would use a scooter instead of walking. And it's just, yeah, and they are not paying attention to the pedestrians. So I'm not like... I'm not into the scooter thing.
2: No. And finally, Emma. Uh, do, would we ever sort of see you riding around with young Hugo in the back, zipping through Marylebone?
3: So my son has his
0: own scooter, but it's not electric. And it is one of those things that you do need to be extremely mindful that you're not. Go- he's not going to be one of those kids that knocks people for six like ten pin bowls as, as he goes along. So we do actually have to properly navigate this at home on an everyday basis. With regards to me, I don't have the core strength to actually stay upright on one of them. So were I to have a go, I could see myself in about 10 metres actually just being, being clattered out onto the floor. So I think it's better for other people's safety that I'm not allowed anywhere near one.
2: I should also say we have another voice around the table uh, as well. Part of the trio that is heading uh, to, to Davos. Also, uh, the, uh, the colleague will also confirm there is a fireplace in the chalet up there. Uh, Carlotta Ribello uh, is here too. Good morning, Carlotta. Bon dia, Tyler. Bon dia. Tell me uh, your thought of this because, of course, uh, you work with Andrew uh, on The Urbanist, uh, our program uh, devoted to all the things that makes cities or make cities um, succeed uh, or or fail um, in in that case and again we've said we've been chronicling this uh, your your take on it
8: well uh, just not to play devil's advocate and just to start by saying that I'm terrible at riding scooters and I do not like them but I do recognize the value they can bring to a city and I look to Portugal to Lisbon for example where before the plague of scooters appeared the car was the only option for everyone. And then the scooters entering the city's mobility sphere at least started to reshape this conversation where we now have a city that has bike lanes, that people started to cycle. They take the scooters to go to work. So many of my friends got that as their Christmas presents so that they can scoot around town. And while I personally am not uh, a fan, uh, I I can tell and I can sense the value they can bring into changing the conversation. Of course, everything needs to be in moderation. And that's the issue that we're having.
2: <laughs> uh, Andrew, just uh, maybe uh, tell us uh, now that we sort of dealt with things on the other side of the channel and, uh, and set uh, Paris's commuter issues uh, to right. What, what else is uh, making headlines uh, in, uh, in your part of the world this morning? I know we were talking about that the Harry story has not really gone away. We try not to dive into that topic, uh, but we, we've seen in, in uh, I saw the Times this morning, I think it's also in the Daily Mail, talks of reconciliation in advance uh, of the coronation.
7: Well, this is. I think the royal family, uh, all parts of it, could ignore each other and, and bury their heads and 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 just let this story rattle on in, in the US uh, with Harry and Meghan uh, running their little circus around this. But there's a coronation coming, so they can't. So they 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 could either not invite Meghan and Harry to uh, attend the coronation, which would be seen as a, a huge problem and you know, another snub to them that would rattle on for years and years and years and maybe seem to justify some of the things that they have said, or they can invite them and risk some weird showdown and some toxic atmosphere at the event which should be actually about more than their family, it should be about Uh, A moment of of Britain and what it wants to stand for at this time so in the end it sounds like that everyone on each side realizes there has to be some kind of attempt at least uh, a negotiated peace but I don't see how that really happens so many things have been said and done now that it's it's hard to see how you get back to anywhere other than a kind of a, a polite acceptance of each other's new realities so that, that, that is played out across the papers today. And I actually thought that maybe this, this Sunday it would be quieter because during the week there was a, a slight lull in interest and even some of the, the more voracious uh, uh, reporters on this story had calmed down. But back to this Sunday when all of the column writers have to have some set talk about, everybody is talking about the, 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 the dangers at play here. And, and one interesting column this morning saying that actually... Uh, prince harry should have looked to princess anne who of course was a, a spare and has made most of her life and has come out actually as one of the most popular rules in in the uk charting her own course and being independent and in what she's done so spare doesn't have to always be a, a bad position being the number two and of course then there's strikes you know strikes, strikes, strikes and it looks like school teachers will will now go on strikes but again the papers are intriguing here because i think while you while the, many of them will happily kind of rally people against the say the rails strikers that there's a, there's a lot of empathy in the papers for those in the health care healthcare world because people are experiencing that every day and they see that they see that there are problems that need fixing so there's those issues and then maybe a sunnier story in a way the the, the renewed commitment of the uk to ukraine with the the announcement that these um, challenger tanks will be sent to ukraine and rishi sunak trying to urge the germans to do the same and just on the point about, uh, of, of course, about the,
2: the strikes. Do you think there'll be a sentiment change, though? Because it's one thing, of course, you might have to uh, take your your mother, your children uh, to, to the doctor, uh, but suddenly. Uh the impact, uh, of course, after years of COVID as well, that that, we're, that we might be in a world in the UK where uh, your kids are going to be at home suddenly. Does that does that really become a bit of a strike tipping point? And because you said there's been, been you know, enough sympathy on one side, uh, you know, but kids at home midwinter could be rather different.
7: It's not just the kids at home. I think there's a a knowledge of parents who've had children who've gone through the education system over the last four or five years, that something is amiss, especially in these last pandemic years, that education was was damaged by not being in the classroom, and that they have kids who are desperately, even now, trying to catch up with where they should be, and whose life opportunities may have been damaged by the lack of direct access to teachers during the pandemic. Now, to say it for teachers to say, okay, we're gonna do that again, uh, whether, where, wherever the right or wrong lies, is going to be really really brutal and i think that there will be a lack of empathy on many parents part who not because they don't sympathize with the teacher's lack of pay or their working conditions but they just don't want to see their kids pushed back any further in society and of course the people who suffer most in these situations are the parents of children who can't afford a bit of extra tuition on the side don't have the laptops at home don't have the the care Ability at home just to carry on education in their own environments. So I think that will be tough But on the healthcare issue, I think even apparently even the health secretary is urging the unions to uh, Push Sunak harder because he thinks there is a deal to be done and there is empathy for a higher pay offer
2: Um, Andrew, you're not um, heading to Davos. Of course, uh, you'll be editing the copy and uh, directing things uh, from from your perch uh, in London. But if you were working with Klaus Schwab, of course, uh, the the founder and uh, certainly uh, the the, the figurehead of the whole organization, what do you think should be the defining topics this year? Of course, we know all of the the key ones. I mean, some are luxury topics, some aren't. but you had to focus it uh, in 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 some capacity for the WEF. What would what would you uh, like to see discussed and hopefully resolved?
7: Well, I think the, the really fascinating thing is you know that we've got to a point where we are this this kind of you know, this 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 fractured world with you know different poles of influence. Even maybe five, ten years ago, you would have had the Russians there, and the, and you know, the, and a, a sense that maybe China was going to be this amazing trading partner, and we had to make peace with its politics. But we're now in a position where none of that seemed likely, and I think that challenges everything. It challenges defence. It challenges the environment. If you you don't work as a as a unified force, and we and we see all of our institutions being challenged about this. So it, in a way, uh, I think it's for. for Davos to prove its relevance is is it only relevant now to a third of the world was it only ever relevant to a third of the world And, and how we maybe chart in the west a slightly different course and one with a little bit more awareness of the of the the brutal challenges that that face us ahead, and is there a way through them? Because I think even this morning we see what's happening in Ukraine. We we, we see the the sixty thousand deaths a month now in China, and you realise that the world feels very different places. So I would say that the the challenge is 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 can we achieve anything together, or is it time for it to chart a different course? Just before we go back to, to London for the
2: news, uh, Fabian, I wanted to bring bring you in. Uh, of course, you are um, editor-correspondent with the Swiss newspaper. What's the relationship that, that Switzerland, that the Swiss have uh, with Davos? Because you have this global circus that descends uh, on the country, a huge buildup. There's obviously, there's a, a significant tax bill that comes with all of this as well. It has all of the upside, too, that one could probably argue it's bringing in certainly uh, more deals or potential deals uh, than, of course, than what the security bill uh, is is going to cost. But, you know, if if you went and chatted to someone in Basel today or down in, in Lugano... Uh, what is the what is the relationship with Davos?
3: Oh, it's a big thing for the Swiss government for sure. I mean, hosting more than fifty heads of state, um, more than three hundred cabinet ministers, like leaders from from um, big companies and everything. It's just um, and bringing them all to Davos to this tiny, tiny village in Switzerland. It's just um, it's it's a great success for Switzerland. It's good for the brand image and of course, like um, yeah, the whole Bundesrat. Uh, has like the opportunity to meet with world leaders there and to like establish um, itself again as like the meditator in like in this world in crisis
2: uh, Chandra if we, if we ventured out of uh, your your front door uh, and uh, in, in your part of the city does it does it does it impact uh, yeah, daily life and are, are people sort of clinging on to what's in Handel or blick or, or NZZ in terms of what is happening uh, up there or does much, much of Switzerland just sort of get on with it? Okay, they're happy that people have, have shown up and are spending money, but uh, what happens up at uh, over a thousand meters above sea level doesn't really have much impact day to day.
1: I think at the moment, <coughs> everybody's still a little bit in the, in the, not not holiday mood, but I think life didn't start really yet. And it's not that I heard a lot so far.
2: Mm-hmm, very good. Listen, it is uh, just uh, gone at 10.30 uh, here in Zurich, 9.30 in, in London and Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. A plane has crashed in central Nepal with at least 40 people now known to have died. 72 people were on board the Yeti Airlines flight from Kathmandu. At least 14 people have been killed in a strike on an apartment block in the Ukrainian city of Dnipro. The attack was part of a fresh wave of missile attacks across Ukraine, with cities including Kiev, Kharkiv and Odessa also hit. A major disaster has been declared in California, which has been hit by a succession of winter storms. The state governor says 24 trillion gallons of water have fallen since the storms began three weeks ago. Parisians are to vote on whether electric scooters should be banned from the streets. There have been complaints that the city's fleet of 15,000 for hire scooters are unsafe, clog up the pavements and cause stress. And a new direct train service has been planned from London to Bordeaux. From 2026, passengers could get from the United Kingdom all the way down to southwest France without having to change trains. The journey will last five hours, and the train it's being reported could be partly wine-themed. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich.
2: Thanks very much for that. And of course, um, we've set up Chandra beautifully uh, for this. She just just give a just give a very firm nod. That was just that was like an approval. She likes it. Uh, Chandra, you've uh, of course uh, been involved with cons- wine consulting with with airlines uh, and what it means, of course, to be um, sipping various vintages at thirty six thousand uh, feet. Uh, what, what do we need on a train if, uh, if the people from, uh, from Eurostar, SNCF in France said, Chandra, we, we, need a, we need a Swiss wine expert, someone with a bit of neutrality uh, to, to look after this journey between London and, and Bordeaux. Uh, what, what do you need when you're going 250 kilometers uh, an hour, uh, of course, uh, across flat land?
1: You know, it's, it's much easier to, to also um, pack a train with wine you can have bigger bottles you can have a you, you have much more space also it's 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 much more easier so I think five hours from London to Bordeaux I mean it's a gift you maybe you take Two bottles. You, you plan like for for two nights, from a white wine, a good red wine, and you see that the countryside. You know, maybe may where you come from. You can have English wine to start, and you go to French wine. So it's a wonderful um, trip. I can only recommend. Five hours is a good time to enjoy wine.
2: Emma, Emma, are you buying into this? Are, are, do I hear the clattering of fingers? Are you already booking? Are you already booking a seat?
1: I'm on. I'm on. The
0: man in seat 61 or whatever, whichever website I've got to look at the quickest access to this. I love what Chandra said about the fact that you will see the countryside. You will see everything in double by the time you get to bordeaux if you've gone through chandra's wine recommendations apparently the the maximum amount of time that passengers on like to spend on a train is is five hours this is what was according to this report with a the, with a the, with the bordeaux connection but i wonder whether that might be a little bit different with this service we might not want to go so quickly down to bordeaux we might want to take our time a bit longer
2: Indeed, uh, Emma. Maybe we, can, well, we will be catching up with you a little bit uh, later uh, in in the program as well. Tom Webb, Aura, uh, Deputy Head of Radio. Uh, you were just talking a little bit uh, just before we went into this uh, about, of course, Ukraine uh, and reappearance uh, as as well uh, at uh, at Davos, Carlotta, Of course, uh, you've uh, been out uh, in uh, in the Ukraine uh, now. Now uh, two two trips uh, that you've done two, two trips, tours yes. uh, out there uh, as, as well. Uh, just in in terms of reception and maybe just bringing both of you in, uh, what type of, of stage, uh, the type of reception and... and you know, maybe not to put percentage terms on this uh, as well, but how much uh, does Ukraine uh, be, become a topic uh, in, in Davos?
8: So what is going to be interesting this year is of course compared to last year when Davos took place it had been just a few months after the start of the war, this um, soft power offensive by Ukraine was very important. We're talking about pre applying for EU membership, pre conversations about joining NATO so it was really important to feel that the international community was around Ukraine when it comes to which side uh, of this war. Of course, we're nearly a year in now, um, just less than a month away of marking that one-year mark. And I think for Ukraine at Davos this time around is to just reaffirm that commitment and investment. There's a lot of a big delegation of Invest Ukraine coming in. And here is not just investment about, you know, when the war ends, but we're talking about infrastructure rebuilding, uh, money to make sure people have cities to come back to. Because one of the things that we're seeing with these attacks, is that if you get cities destroyed, people don't have a place to go back to. And it's much easier to attack a country if there's no one there
2: uh, to defend it. Tom, what does it mean for our coverage uh, over the coming week uh, in Davos?
5: Well, actually, I will be based near and in the House of Ukraine for a lot uh, of our coverage throughout the week. We have been chasing the delegates, but for security reasons, we don't actually know who is coming. We know Klitschko will be hosting an event. um, But not only is the House of Ukraine hosting these big uh, war-focused events, the, the House of Poland. Uh, Their theme is about the bridge to the end of the war. So I'll also be doing interviews from there. But the House of Ukraine, the reception is huge. Last year, 30,000 people walked through over the five days. So there is a warm reception, but the focus is looking at the impact of the war rather than the war itself. So that is why energy and the cost of living crisis will be the focus of most of the events coming out of houses.
2: I've uh, just gone to 10.36 uh, here in uh, Zurich. Also time to cross to the Ukraine now. I'm happy to say uh, that uh, Vladislav Davidson uh, author of From Odessa with Love, he's also a fellow uh, at the Atlantic uh, Council, uh, is joining us uh, this morning and for security reasons as well um, from a, an undisclosed uh, location uh, this morning. Good morning, Vladislav.
9: Good morning. Thank you for having me on again.
2: Not at all. Maybe just uh, before we, we wade into the topics around around Davos, uh, but I think uh, just uh, doesn't matter uh, what uh, certainly news site anyone is going to, uh, or certainly flipping on other uh, TV channels uh, this morning. Of course, we've had overnight's attack in Nipro, and and certainly uh, the attacks on on Kiev uh, over the the past uh, few days. Uh, maybe just bring us up to speed on uh, on the shape that this has taken.
9: Yes. So, you know, in, uh, in the post-Soviet Eastern uh, Orthodox world, the, uh, there's an accretion of holidays. So people actually take the, the communist holidays, which kind of were not, uh, or, you know, removed from the calendar, up to the uh, Catholic and the Orthodox holidays off. So, you know, from December 15th to about January 14th, uh, the, country, the country of, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, they simply don't work. Because you have the communist, the, the the eastern, the western Christian holidays all together lumped together. So the point is, on the 13th, that's the old New Year. People stop drinking. They get back to work on the 14th. So the Russian army got back to work.
2: Just on that, um, maybe sort of picking up, and and certainly. Tell us, just going back to Dnipro, uh, in terms of, of of the attacks and but I think also people's particular interest in in Kiev um, a, as well. Uh, what um, what are you hearing um, uh, firsthand as much as wherever you may be also uh, also witnessing as well?
9: So you know this this uh, this new attack, we haven't seen a scene like this in a couple of weeks where they actually had a direct hit on on a, uh, a residential building in the, in the middle of a uh, of, uh, sleeping period where a lot of people got killed with, with people yelling out um, from under the rubble. Uh, we, we reported, I think already 13 deaths, 14 wounded, uh, 100 wounded, 14 of them children. Uh, there, there was a completely iconic, harrowing scene of a woman, a Russian speaker yelling in Russian into the cameras and into the burning building as her son was dead. She, yell, she yelled at Putin and the Russians. She, she yelled, why did you kill him? What have you done to my son? What have you done to him? Uh, we, we treated you like friends, like relatives. You came here. We, uh, we're like you. Uh, and what have you done to my son? And I curse you. I curse you and all the Russians to the seventh generation. I curse you. Completely Shakespearean stuff, she said. May you drown in my tears and the tears of all the other mothers. So everyone in the Russian-speaking world with a television and a heart was watching this. Heartrending scene of a woman wearing a red jacket yelling in Russian at the Russian army. What did you do to my son? How could you? So it's just a com- completely horrific situation, and there were no military targets anywhere near this uh, residential apartment building. They just they blew it up in order to maximize casualties and in order to make the population afraid
2: let's love it we were, we were um, of course talking about many themes uh, in it that will of course be be shaping and uh, and certainly uh, be currents within davos so from a a western global perspective uh you know energy uh, always being one part of this of course uh, russia uh, part of the equation and the problem as well uh, how is uh, as we Probably also have uh, colder weather uh, moving uh, across Europe again. Uh, what does this meant from, from an electricity supply, uh, an energy supply? How is, how is the Ukraine coping uh, currently? What do these sort of rolling waves of, of power outages, etc., look like? Um, and, and how is it being managed?
9: Yeah, that's a great question. So this is, in some ways, this is actually worse than uh, uh, comparatively, I mean, the, the, the casualties are horrific for residents, but in some ways, tens of millions of people sitting that electricity for half the day or a third of a day, depending on which part of the city you're in, which part of the country you're in. It's much worse for, for uh, being able to run a country. The point is, uh, from the Russian army standpoint, is to depopulate the country, to destroy the economy, to destroy the capacity to lead an ordinary life. And what happens, uh, in a place like Kiev is that depending on which part of the city you're in, that's how much electricity you're going to have. If you're living across the street from an embassy or uh, industry or a hospital or a government uh, structure or uh, something like the, uh, like the interior ministry, you're going to have power the entire day. If you're living in the wrong part of town, you're not going to have power at all or more than for four or five, six hours. People charge up their phones and their tablets they schedule their meetings. My wife uh, is Ukrainian French. She has to schedule her meetings for her 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 partners back in Kiev and Odessa for those parts of a day when everyone has energy it 's very difficult one one partner will be in Odessa, another one will be Chernivtsi, another one will be in Kiev and the four of them have to figure out a part of a day when they all have electricity at the same time. One of them will probably go to the car and sit there charging his phone off the battery and it's it's incredibly inefficient and as a reason the economy is down 30 percent you really can't run an economy like this when you when you don't know whether you have electricity for more than a quarter of a fifth of a day and uh people are coping heroically resiliently but it's, it's no way to run a country and it's it's going to destroy the economy sooner rather than later so the, the russians know exactly what they're doing in those terms i tried to get my own family out of Odessa out. My father-in-law went back. He says, you know, I, I'm 75. I have enough electricity to do my, my, uh, my stuff and uh, water my, my plants in the garden, watch TV in the daytime. I'm okay. I still have heat. I have clean water. The electricity is okay. So some people can deal with it. Some people cannot. And it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous liability.
2: Uh, just before we go, Vladislav, uh, as we were just discussing a little bit earlier, of course, we're, we're the, the first anniversary uh, of the war is is approaching. From your perspective, uh, what do you see happening in terms of, of marking this? Because obviously this this does, of course, provide a, a rallying cry uh, we, you know, we hear about. And, and of course, why wouldn't there be a degree of fatigue around all of this? So what opportunities that also present uh, for the government, not just within the borders of the Ukraine, but also internationally to keep this front and center?
9: and The Ukrainians are very savvy about this. They've had to become savvy about this. There's going to be a tremendous wave of events the entire world. We're all going to be watching it uh, everywhere from London to Zurich to, to New York to, to, uh, to Greece to Africa. Everyone's going to, to see it. Uh, obviously the Ukrainians will have to have some sort of demure quiet uh, events in the middle of a war. The Russians are Known for bombing things on symbolic dates in order to send a message, there will definitely be on the 24th, sadly, a wave of assaults. Uh, We don't know when the when the next wave of uh, of bombings is going to take place, and the Russians are obviously preparing another uh, wave wave of of human meat meat grinding. soldiers to, to attack. There there's obviously going to be a, a next campaign, either a counter assault from the Ukrainians around March as they're saying, or something big from the Russian side. I wouldn't even be surprised if the Russians begin the new phase of the operation around February twenty fourth in order to show that they that they haven't lost the war. This isn't over. Uh, the Ukrainians can still they they could still do very badly and the Russians can still grind this out in the way that they have in other wars. I'm cautiously optimistic, but they're calling up more and more reservists. They're calling up more and more young men. Uh, The the losses taking now place around Soledor, a mining town next to Bakhmut in the east, are tremendous. We're hearing that the Russians are throwing thousands and thousands of mercenaries and prison inmates at the Ukrainian lines. Uh, Just literally thousands of prison inmates until the Ukrainians run out of uh, men and ammo. So this is a horrific, grinding, attritional war of the World War I variety, uh, except with tanks and drones of the, of the World War II variety and of, of the 2022 20, variety. So, uh, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but it, this is going to be a, a long, grinding, exhausting war until the Ukrainians win.
2: Vladislav Davidson, uh, We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Vladislav, Vladislav Davidson, author of From Odessa with Love, also a fellow at the Atlantic Council. It's uh, just coming up to 1046 here in Zurich. We are going away for a short break. We'll be back right after this.
6: The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs is a smart guide to starting and running your own business from the people behind Monocle Magazine. It's a handbook designed to encourage, inspire, and perhaps even gently prod its readers into taking the plunge and starting something for themselves. Inside, you'll find canny case studies of 100 businesses that succeeded, ideas on where to base your business, and advice from more than 50 industry experts on everything from finding funding to scaling up. There are ideas and opportunities for everyone from a first-timer with a dream to seasoned entrepreneurs mulling over their next venture. This isn't about getting rich quick, but it is for those interested in building something with integrity, making something that lasts, something you'd be proud to pass on to the next generation. Isn't it time you turn the page? Let's get started then. The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs. Go to monocle.com forward slash shop and order your copy today.
2: You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé, just at 10.47 here in Zurich as we approach the end of the program. Uh, And uh, you're going to be pulling on uh, boots and jackets uh, and uh, and heading uh, up to the the mountains. Uh, I want to bring in our team plus Fabian Kinselman from Handelzeitung, who's here this morning. Uh, I'll start with my team uh, first. Uh, So, Marcus, we heard, of course, uh, from uh, your colleague, uh, Tom Webb, sitting beside you. Uh, He's going to be uh, largely perched uh, at at the Ukrainian house. Uh, What... uh, and you, of course, said that you're going to be chasing down uh, your fellow Finns uh, as well for some interviews. Uh, but what else does our uh, our coverage look like uh, over the coming days from Davos? Well,
4: it's going to be a busy schedule, first of all, I have to say. So tomorrow tomorrow we are going to be hosting our midday show from Davos, the briefing. After that, I believe it's going to be The Globalist. And then a few briefings as well. And and it's, it's an amazing event. Obviously, I think Davos has about 3,000 participants now, many of them being some of the most powerful people people in the world. So it's, it's quite a task to delve into that and kind of like trying to figure out what is essential over there, and what the biggest discussion topics are. But as Andrew mentioned already, the theme of this year's event is is about fragmented world and and the world situation we are in. So, so we'll be obviously looking at the situation, with Ukraine and Russia and how that's impacting the world but we're also looking at some other things how how that's affected in other parts of the world for example with with Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin we are talking about hopefully about Finland's NATO application the status of it what's going on with it and similarly with Foreign Minister Pekka Harvester about what the place of Finland is at the moment how it has changed so quickly in the last 12 months And just a quick observation, I kind of wanted to say this already earlier, but I went to the Finnish Independence Day party in Finland, uh, in London at the Finnish embassy. And it was amazing to realize how the group of Finland's friends has changed. There were so many people representing the UK military, representing the American military. And and, and that was kind of, it became so clear to me that in the last 12 months, Finland has refound its place in the world. And it's clearly a part of the west as it's been before but now it's 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 more explicit so so many discussion topics over there in davos we'll be obviously speaking to to many world leaders many many people who, who are holding that power and who, who know the biggest discussion topics in in Davos another thing that's interesting obviously is that it's, it's a massive media event as well so hopefully we'll be speaking to quite a few editors in chiefs who are also going there for these discussions so obviously we're still making this plan we are still we're going there and as Fabian knows as well quite often things happen quite spontaneously so we'll be spending our days over there networking looking for those guests and keeping ourselves very busy um, Carlotte, I want to bring uh, you in because
2: uh, of course you'll be part the team uh, who's traveling up there as we were saying earlier uh you're you are so involved and and in a way intertwined with the urban topic uh, as well and it's interesting so, you know sometimes you see the city and the city as a you know a powerful entity in its own right uh, of course oftentimes an engine which is is even stronger than the state and I'm wondering from your perspective uh how much the urban topic uh, is is going to inform things because in, in a way it was so so fashionable going into the pandemic in many ways, we've only just seen a kickstart or re, you know a reboot of, of Davos. Uh, you know certainly with within the last year. So uh, what what are you hoping to hear, see, cover?
8: Oh, the, you know, the the topic of city diplomacy always premieres Davos. It did last year and will continue this year for sure. Uh, One of the people that I'm interviewing for The Urbanist is uh, Irina Ozimuk. She's the founder of the International Mayors Summit, precisely a network to bring these mayors together um, and to have those discussions. As we know, um, cities can be a bit more powerful than uh, federal and national governments in the sense that they can get things done with, uh, not saying that there's no bureaucracy, but at least there's not that many layers and things can get moving a bit quicker and there's more room for experimentation. Now, at Davos, on top of all these national world leaders, you have big delegations of current and former mayors, some of them who are now have moved on to consultancy work and might be working for some tech companies, but have this presence at Davos informing the conversation. And an interesting one is as well, of course, who is the mayor of Davos and uh, how does that city itself change for this international event? You know, going to Davos outside of the World Economic Forum is a very, very, very different experience. And one of the things last year, which was my first time at this summit, uh, that struck me was just how much the city adapts and the idea that you have 80 percent of a town uh, cordoned off uh, through security badges. that What does that mean for the people who live there and uh, suddenly you don't have access to a street that otherwise you'd be there every day. And it's quite an interesting dynamic that I'm hoping to pick up again this year. And to understand, you know, moving on from the conversation of the return of the city after the pandemic, because I don't think it ever went anywhere. uh, And it's important to move past uh, that topic and to see what are the challenges going into 2023. We have a cost of living crisis, we have all these issues, but people are still in cities and cities are not going anywhere. So how do we make this a reality that's livable and that next year, looks better.
2: Um Fabian you you touched on this a little bit earlier which is this notion from from a Swiss perspective of course incredibly important to, to the federal government in this country but uh, but I mean also to the cantons to cities as well but also a topic which you know is really in in the headlines almost constantly now which is this one of Really, a brand pillar for Switzerland, which is neutrality, and and what what is what is that conversation uh, look like, and 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 how much you know, d- is it informed by what happens in Davos? Of course, for the Swiss Foreign Ministry and, and all of the operators uh, on on an international stage.
3: As we heard from uh, Vladislav from Odessa, the Ukrainians are really fighting; they they are having the fight for life or death, right? So, like lots of the European countries or of the uh, part of the Western world are trying to. Sh- to speed up solidarity by sending more and more heavy weapons in. But lots of them, of the countries are prevented because lots of the material has like components which were produced originally in Switzerland. And Switzerland um, doesn't allow the export in like countries where war is actually happening right now. But the question is, is that like Switzerland says that's like neutrality, Swiss neutrality, but the question is like how neutral can switzerland be in that case and that's a challenge for the swiss government um like is it actually neutrality if they are not allowing this to export this material or is it are they actually weakening the ukrainians so thereby also kind of supporting Putin? and it also becomes a big um economical topic in switzerland as like lots of the of the european countries are now saying okay if that like if something like that is happening then we are not going to buy any more like components from switzerland not any more like munition from switzerland and that could be a big economical issue
2: indeed and, and also a topic which uh, is going to continue to uh, to play out um, i wanted to bring in uh, andrew uh, just to, very quickly as we approach the end of the program uh, because of course if you're listening at at the top uh, chandra was given a variety uh, of different uh, briefings from our various uh, colleagues uh, as well i believe chandra has uh, has the the results uh for all of the people uh who are maybe going to be looking for um a bottle of wine or a glass at the end of the day uh, andrew what, what were you looking for just remind us
7: well as i was saying this is a time when you, you hope for a little bit of uh, renewal freshness uh, a new focus finding some new horizons to cross over at the beginning of a year and i was hoping that maybe if i do not achieve it in other parts of my life that uh, chandra might be able to help me do it in wine form at least
1: well, anyway, we speak a lot about China these days, so why not also go into the Chinese wines that, that definitely are approaching more and more our, our, our shelves. So I, w- I will send you to China. It's a French Domaine Lafitte Rochelle. They invested there and there's a Hu Yu from Long Dai winery. It's a classical brand like from Bordeaux blend. And why don't you try to fill some new horizon with a Chinese wine?
2: Oh, Andrew. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll set You challenge. We'll you're uh, a challenge.
7: You, you set your ch- I, I'm, 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 I will. I will have a. I'm always up for, up for having a go. But maybe we should do that together, Chandra.
1: I would love that.
2: Okay, exactly. And we can organize the delivery uh, as well. Marcus, was something. It was a bit of. A, was something cozy about the brief that you were looking for?
4: When we are in this in this chalet chalet of Monaco um, after a busy workday in front of that fireplace, something nice to so drink I, with my colleagues.
1: I think I took Marcus and Tom together because you will all be in this chalet and you're in Switzerland in the Grison. So one thing for for sure, it has to be Swiss wine because as we know, Swiss wine is not exported. So the best place to drink it is in in Switzerland itself. You need. Uh, a light white wine to, to relax in the first first moment and so next week starts the non-filtre week so it's the first wine of the new vintage that is launched it's the Chasselas unfiltered. so go have some bottles of this and then because you are in the Grison, Pinot Noir is king there and you have the most, one of the, the best uh, Pinot Noirs of Switzerland you can look for family names like Donach Obrecht, Adank. just get some, some bottles of Pinot Noir Uh, Open them sitting around around the fireplace, not too close, that the wine doesn't get too warm and and enjoy it. And Tom, for the sweet wine, uh, we have a very famous uh, sweet wine in Switzerland called Mittis. It's from an indigenous grape, an Armenian grape. Grab a few little bottles, have them nicely chilled, and you will be ready for the next day.
2: Mm. Listeners, if you could see these smiling faces on the far side of the table, it's, uh, it's it's quite quite remarkable. Chandra, we needed something for for Fabienne. If she she's coming back from Scaramucci's wine party, if she needs one one more bottle, what what would well, it be?
1: Actually, I, I, I thought I I suggest a bottle. She goes to the Scaramucci wine party to be the star of the party. You need a small talk wine, you know, a big magnum bottle. And the important is that the label has some some writing. And the talented winemaker, good friend Markus Schneider from the Paltz, has this super uh, syrup called Holy Moly. So I think. I see you walking around with holy moly and everybody will want to talk with you to get a glass of, of syrup. <laughs> Great,
3: thank you very you're much.
2: Good, you're good with like that. that. And finally, uh, Emma, I, I, I believe you were just, um, well, it almost sounds like you wanted to just drink some ethanol, but anyway... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what don't were let you that after?
0: cross my mind. I know.
2: <laughs> you said a stiffener anyway. Well,
0: for starters, I want to try something called Who You? That sounds wonderfully good fun. Um, but Chandra, yes, please. I'm afraid I don't have time to enjoy wine, but I need a little bit of um, decontraction, let's call it. Uh, so something that, that that hits the spot in, in states of emergency.
1: Yeah, I think we're in the in the same state of mind because <laughs> I didn't do a, a wine week this week. I did a not dry generally but dry martini week so I think you should go for dry martinis you know they look innocent and London is the hotspot. you have the Duke's bar and, and all kind of bars why don't you go to every bar and they should make you their signature dry martini I'll send you pictures from each bar that I go to.
2: Yeah, I think straight to straight to Duke Street right after this, Emma, is just, <laughs> Thank is just, you, <laughs> is just the call. That's all the time we have for today's program. Fabian Kinselman, uh, Chandra Currie, Marcus Hippie, Tom Webb, Carlotta Rebello, Andrew Tuck back in London, also Vladislav Davidson in the Ukraine. Thank you very much. Desiree Bandley was our producer today, also Emma Nelson and Carlotta Rebello was too, uh, and also to Sarah Nichol uh, back in London. I'm Tyler Brulé. Monica on Sunday is going to be back next week and also we're in Davos across the week uh, with all of our colleagues there. Have a very good week. Goodbye.